Our scripture reading for today comes from Psalm chapter 34, on which we sang and will now read. Uh, Follow along with me on the screens or in the Bibles in front of you. Psalm 34. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look upon him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So ends the reading of God's word. Those of you ages two years old to, through kindergarten, uh, three years old to kindergarten, go ahead and make your way to the little landing, which is just out that door to the right. Um, this morning, uh, as I already alluded to, Logan uh, will be serving us. Uh, Logan, Anna, and their family have been attending the landing for about the last eight months. Uh, among other ministries, Logan served as the associate pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Rochester for 14 years. We're thankful to God for drawing this, the Freeze family to the landing and God's preaching provision this morning through Logan in Brent's absence. So with me, welcome Logan and thank you, Lord, God, for being our helper and for serving through this faith family member. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. I want to... Thank you and thank this church family for the opportunity we've had to just be able to be here and to, uh, as we've been settled in here to Duluth since last October, just the opportunity to uh, be a part of a church family here and to just see what God is doing and how he's actively working in and through uh, this congregation of people here in this four-year, five-year church plant and and, uh, God is just using it and he's working and we're grateful. I want to take you this morning to the passage that Uh, Kevin just read Psalm 34, and I'm going to walk you through Psalm 34 this morning. It's a passage that God has uh, brought to my attention over the course of the last year with uh, transitions and moving and uh, different job trans, different things that have happened in our life. Uh, There's always seems to be a series of unknowns, right? And uh, maybe you have faced some of those different unknowns in your life, but uh, 
just how do we move ahead and how do we uh, just resolve confidence in the Lord and trust in the Lord through uh, some of those transitions, through some of those unknowns. So I'm going to walk you through Psalm 34 this morning. If you have your Bibles, it would be good to walk through that with me. December 17th, 1927. There was an eight-year-old submarine. It was a USS S-4. It was operating some tests, uh, just some uh, practice tests submerged uh, off of the coast of Princetown, Massachusetts. It was about 3.30 in the afternoon, so nothing special. Uh, but at that time, a winter storm rolled in. Uh, and on the surface, there was a Coast Guard destroyer, the CG-17 Paulding, uh, unaware of the USS S-4 uh, conducting its tests, uh, collided and rammed into the S-4 submarine. The S-4 submarine would sink 110 feet only to the bottom of the ocean floor, 40 men trapped inside. Flooding uh, would take the lives, initially, the initial flooding would take the lives of 34 men, leaving six men trapped inside of the torpedo room. The winter storm uh, raging at the surface would uh, prevent any rescue options from taking, operations from taking place that day. So later the next day, some, sub, some scuba diver crews and so forth would go out and conduct some searches. Scuba diver Thomas Eady would come into contact with the submarine and uh, they weren't sure if there would be any survivors. They weren't sure what was going on down inside of that submarine, but uh, through the efforts of Thomas, they were able to hear some tapping on the side of the submarine and realize that they were communicating to them through Morse code on the side of the submarine. Tap, 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 tap. What would you say? What words would you choose to use? What would you want to know if you were inside of that torpedo room? Stuck, full of fear, completely helpless, completely broken. All resources and efforts to save yourself have been completely exhausted. Not sure where to turn or who to turn to for help. What would you say? The words transmitted over Morse code. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? The implication, give us a reason to keep fighting. Is somebody able to save us? Is there a reason for us to continue to live? <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself stuck in the torpedo room of life, right? Maybe not physical, life-threatening situations such as this, but in the past, I found myself asking questions. <laughs> How am I going to get out of this one? I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do here right now? I'm faced with the unknown, and the floods of questions seem overwhelming. And perhaps you find yourself maybe in similar circumstances or situations or have in the past, and at a deep level, you're crying out to the Lord. You're crying out and just saying, is there any hope? Give me a reason to keep fighting because I'm not seeing it right now. I, I don't know what to do. Maybe your marriage is rocky and you're just trying to fight through this you're trying to figure out where where are the answers here i don't know what to do we're in conflict there's stress there's problems there's health issues i don't know what to do 
Maybe your finances are just all over the place and you're just saying, Lord, I, I don't know what to do here. There's some, some needs that we have and some situations that we're in and we're desperate and we don't know what to do. Maybe your workload has just tanked you. You're overwhelmed with the amount of work that needs to be done and you're not sure where to turn. You're not sure how to, to get some more people to help and to solve the problems. Maybe there's some work relationships that are conflicting. Maybe there's vehicle problems or equipment problems. Maybe your housing situations. I, I don't know, but the Lord does. He knows the situations that you are in. And the unknowns that are in front of you, you're just asking those questions. I don't quite know what to do here. As we turn to Psalm 34, the passage that was just read, the inscription at the beginning of the passage says, concerning David, when he pretended to be insane in the presence of Abimelech, who drove him out as he departed. (laughs) This tells us The response of David at a time when he was in a very difficult situation. And that brings us all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And we really need some context here to understand what is going on in the life of David from 1 Samuel. See, David has just defeated Goliath of Gath. And the victory has excited the people. We know the story. Right? And they begin to celebrate this young David. And Saul becomes jealous and angry and furious and starts taking opportunities to try and eliminate David and get him out of the picture here. And the plot for his life is further clarified, and David is now considered to be an outlaw. And so he flees a few miles south from Ramah, where he had met with Samuel, and he goes to Nob, which is where the tabernacle of the Lord is at, and this is where Abimelech. Ahimelech, I'm sorry, the great-grandson of Eli. Ahimelech is now ministering as high priest. And this is, a, this is the story where David goes in and, and deceitfully seeks provision for his needs as he's running away from Saul, and he, and he provides him with uh, consecrated food, right, and Goliath's sword. Maybe, uh, and I might be reading into it a little bit, but I think David is a warrior, he's a leader, and God has commissioned him to lead, and he desires to lead, and right now, David has nothing. There's nobody following him, he has no weapon, he has, n- he has nothing. And in this moment in his life, perhaps with the sword of Goliath in his hand, he could venture into army, enemy territory and gain some command and even maybe even just some protection, but, but maybe there's some people here that he could muster up to follow him. He's a leader, right? He needs some people to, to, to lead. But regardless, his misplaced confidence, his misplaced trust gets him into some trouble. And that's where we find, and we would go over to Psalm 56 and see that occasion as well, but we don't have time to go through that. But this is where David is seized in Gath. And in prison, we don't have time to go through Psalm 56, but if you go there on your own time, you'll see a little insight into David's fear and how he begins to process his fear. But back in our passage in 1 Samuel 21, we know David is completely terrified. <laughs> Self-confidence has thrown him into enemy territory, and now things didn't go the way that he had expected. Things aren't turning out quite the way that he had hoped, and now he has to figure out how to get out of this situation. He pretends to be insane, and he's able to escape and get out of there. And upon being identified in that, in that occasion, he's able, like I said, to, to pretend to be mad or insane and get away, and he flees and he runs to take refuge in the caves of 
Adullam. And the questions remain in the cave, stuck, wondering what is next. All the unknowns in front of him. I could imagine David contemplating all the unknowns. What am I supposed to do now? I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to lead. I feel stuck. Now what? (laughs) Now what? And we know from 1 Samuel chapter 22, as he's in this cave in Adullam, his family joins him. And it says in 1 Samuel 22 verses 1 and 2, it says, His family joins him as well as every man who is desperate, in debt, and discontented, about 400. Well, that's just wonderful. I'm glad my family's here, but this is a bunch of down-and-out, misfit, loser men. They're desperate. They're indebted. They're discontent. They're beat down. They have no hope. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. And here we are in a cave, (laughs) stuck. What am I supposed to do? And it's like God says, do you trust me? Instead of seeking his own provision for food and for weaponry, instead of looking for his own mighty army and trying to figure this all out on himself, David sits there in the cave and I think at this moment he realizes at a little over 20 years of age, God is asking him to lead those people that are sitting right here in front of him. David, I want you to lead these men. Lead these men. These are the ones that I have given to your care. These are the ones that I have entrusted you with. Somehow, these people that I have to lead, David says, have to put their confidence and their trust in the Lord, and I have to put my confidence and my trust in the Lord. I have to create a a culture of confidence in Christ alone, not in me, not in our efforts, not in the things that we're going to do, but in the Lord and in him alone. Terrified for his life, David sits down and reflects, and amid his fears, he seeks the Lord. He embraces what he knows to be true of a good and a holy God, and the circumstances of his life are not favorable, but there is so much to be thankful for. And with pen in hand, David writes in the cave of Adullam, Psalm 34. And with fresh resolve, as we've just read that text, I hope that context puts us a little bit more light on where he's writing from, who he's writing to, who is there with him when he writes this. But he declares the goodness and the greatness of God. He realizes the magnificent ways that God has taken care of him and watched over him. He's alive. God has preserved his life and taken care of him. There's a sense of freedom that overcomes him when he realizes he doesn't have to act in vengeance. He doesn't have to take these matters into his own hands. The Almighty God is there and is present with him and there is nothing to fear. And with fresh resolve, David determines to lead well those that God has given to his charge. And he has given him a reason to lead them with hope. Is there any hope? Indeed, there is. And I want to tell you about it. If you're a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ, you must do the same. You must... Lead well with a culture of confidence in the Lord and in Him alone by declaring His goodness and the constant presence of the Lord in your life and living it out. And as you do, you will realize that the people that that God has put into your life, you must teach, you must model and and set an example for of trust and confidence in the Lord. As As you declare that trust and confidence in the Lord, you will discover the righteous 
are not without hope. In the face of your unknowns, let's learn from David six lessons. Six lessons this morning, and the passage breaks up these sections for us. Six lessons to learn from David, and the first one is in verses 1 through 3. The first lesson today is praise. When I'm faced with the unknown, David says, and we should say with him, I will praise the Lord. I'm going to praise the Lord. He says in verse 1 through 3, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. We just sang this. Let us magnify the Lord together. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together at all times. I will bless the Lord. I don't, I don't know the situations and the circumstances that are ahead so much is unknown. What do I do? I'm going to bless the Lord because he's good. He is worthy of praise and honor in all situations and in all circumstances. He is present. He is right here. And no matter what, through thick and through thin, David's saying, I, as your leader, I vow to praise the Lord at all times. Would you do the same? It's an invitation. Let's do this together. And I resolve to lead with confidence in God, not in myself. I tried that, and it didn't work out so well, David's saying. I had to, I had to get out of that one, and God got me out of that one. Here we are, and now we're here and now we, we will praise the Lord together. You know, there's something strengthening about those words about being together. Let us proclaim the Lord's greatness together. The Christian life's never meant to be lived alone. You cannot live it alone. It wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be. You don't always get to choose the people around you. But God knows what he's doing. And God has allowed people in your life. He's put you in the neighborhood that you're in for a reason. He's put you in the job that you're in for a reason. He's put the people in your life for a reason. And you have an opportunity to praise the Lord and to exalt the Lord and to influence those that he has put into your life and you have an opportunity here at the landing in the body of Christ together to corporately worship and praise the Lord as we magnify his name through this body. May, his, may the light just shine from the landing into the community of Duluth, a people that need to know who Jesus is. Because there's a lot of hopeless people out there. There's a lot of people without hope. And they need Jesus. And together... We will praise the name of the Lord together. First Chronicles 12 tells us David, about David. It says, day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. <laughs> when you put your hope and your confidence in God and you just do what is right, you just do what you know the Lord has called you. You bless the name, you honor the name of the Lord, and you do what is right, at some point you look around and you look behind you and you say, where did all these people come from? You don't aspire to try and figure out how to galvanize people to, to follow you. You do the right thing. You honor the Lord and you realize that God brings the people.
God is the one that orchestrates all this. He is the one that does this. And so together and with you, I will praise the name of the Lord. That's the first lesson. The second lesson comes from the next section of passage from verses 4 through 7, and it's protection. There's a lesson in protection here. It says in verses 4 through 7, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he rescued me from all my fears. Take note of the word fear here. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. And then David says, this poor man cried out. I'm testifying of this. I cried out, and the Lord heard me and saved him from all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Those who fear him, not fear their circumstances. We don't have to be afraid. The, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. If you would just trust the fact that the Lord of angel armies is surrounding you in all the circumstances of your life, There is nothing to be afraid of. It instills boldness and and a radiance and a hope of joy that comes from your life when you realize your confidence is in the Lord and the God of angel armies is, is surrounding you and protecting you. There's nothing to be afraid of. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear what tomorrow may bring. What are you afraid of losing? What what are you doing to protect that loss? What are the things that you're afraid of letting go and saying, I don't want to, if I lost this, I don't know what I would do. What is it? Entrust it to the Lord. Give it over to the Lord. He is the one that encamps and surrounds and protects. And assuredly, he, he protects you and watches over you and cares for you. There's nothing new. <laughs> you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear these things. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord God, and he will protect you. The third lesson comes from verses 8 through 10, and it's the lesson of provision. If you're taking notes, you're realizing they all start with P. Provision. The provision from the Lord. Trust God's goodness in times of need. Verses 8 through 10 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear him, what? Lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Taste and see that the Lord is good, the goodness of the Lord. If you were to open up your eyes, you would see his constant presence and goodness and provision in your life. Our first course of action tends to be to try and figure out how to do this ourselves. I can do it myself. I got this. I, I'm going to do it. I can figure this out, right? We're Minnesotans. We do this ourselves. We've got it. But he's saying, would you trust me? Sometimes you get to the end of your open. You don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. You don't know where the provisions are going to come from. <laughs> And you just say, Lord, I I know you have brought me to this time and to this place. You have me right here where you do, and I trust you. I don't know what else to do but to trust you. And he will provide. He will. It may not be all the material items that you are looking for. It may not be the things that you are hoping that he will bless you with. (laughs) Very, Very often it doesn't end up being that way. But he's saying, would you just trust me? I will take care of your needs. I will provide the grace that you need 
to endure, to move on, to see me through the midst of this so that together in the body of Christ we magnify and glorify the name of the Lord together. And you won't lack anything. You won't lack anything. There's a lesson in provision, a lesson in provision. And maybe you look back over your years of life and you say, I can tell you the number of times that God has provided in amazing ways the things that we needed at the right time and in the right way, right? Can you look back and see his good hand in your life? You can, can't you? But sometimes in the middle of really hard circumstances, it's hard to remember those things. It's hard to see that. But he's saying, God is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's going to take care of you. He does care. We also have a lesson in purity in verses 11 through 14. I think David, in verse 11, is speaking to the individuals in the cave. Come, children, come here. Come, listen to me, he says, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Gather around, everybody, all, all 400 of you and the family. Come on, come on, gather around. Let's, let's get together. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I've made some mistakes. I have messed up, but I've learned some things. And I'm telling you, if you fear the Lord, it's, it's, it's the way to go. We've got to fear the Lord. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Whoever, who is someone who desires life, I desire life. Loving a long life and to enjoy what is good. Is that you? That's what I want. I want to enjoy what is good. I want to to live long. I want to be a blessing to those that are around me. I want to be able to enjoy this life. And he says, is that what you want? Is Is that what you want? Here's the instruction. Then keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. You want the blessing of the Lord? You want, you want to live long and have a great influence for godliness and those around you? Then you watch your words and you watch your conduct. Be pure in your life. Don't mess this up. And he's gathering all these men around and he's saying, listen, we're going we're gonna to praise the name of the Lord together. We're going to trust him to provide for us. We're going to trust him for his protection. But we have a responsibility here, men and women. We have a responsibility to be pure. If we want the Lord's blessing in all of this, we got to watch our words. Times are going to get difficult. Things are not going to get easy. There's going to be war. There's going to be battles. There's going to be difficult times ahead. When we encounter those times, watch your words and watch your conduct. Be pure. Be pure. Keep your tongue from evil and from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil. Why? Because complaining and careless and evil words and actions have a way of ripping the joy out of life. They steal it from those that are around you. It just destroys joy when you're around complainers and bitter-souled people. And so here these men are, indebted and desperate and discontented. And he's saying, we're not going to live there anymore. We're not going to do it. Our hope is in 
is in God. Our hope is in Him. And we resolve to be pure. Is there hope? Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, quotes this psalm in this section. In 1 Peter chapter 3. He quotes it here. And then following that, he talks about being devoted to what is good. And then he says a very familiar verse. Be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. Peter quoting Psalm 34 helps us to understand that difficult times are going to be there Difficult and hard times are going to be there. Suffering is going to be there. But you, you as followers of Christ, be ready to give a defense for the reason for what? The hope. The hope that's in you. You, followers of Jesus, you have the hope of Christ. You have every reason to be hopeful in this world. In a world of people that that is asking questions that do not have hope. A world of people who's looking for answers. You have the answers. You have the Word of God and the truth of God and the Spirit of God. You have hope, friend. You have hope. Don't live indebted, discouraged, and discontented. Don't let those words steal your joy. Don't let complaining and arguing and and evil speech rip the joy out of the opportunity that you have to lead the people that God has entrusted to your care. Times are going to get hard. Times will get difficult. But in the midst of those, our eyes are not on our circumstances. Our eyes are on Jesus Paul wrote, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We don't look at the things which are seen. We look at the things that are unseen. For the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. My eyes aren't on this world. Sometimes they are. (laughs) But they shouldn't be. I need to have an eternal focus need to have an eternal focus. Be pure. Be pure. Lesson five, we have a lesson in the presence of the Lord. In verses 15 through 18, the presence of the Lord. You can see him watching over us and hearing us in this text. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. but, But take heed, verse 16, the face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to remove all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and he rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and he saves those crushed in spirit. Are you brokenhearted? Are you crushed? feeling like you're defeated and not sure where to turn to, isn't it a comfort to know that the eyes of the Lord are watching and his ears hear your cry for help? Isn't it good to know? Is it good to know that he cares? That his presence is near and comforting. It is there that he loves you. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellence of power may be of God and not of ourselves. 
We're hard-pressed in every way, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. We're not destroyed. We're not without hope. He's right here. He cares for you, and he is present, and he's watching over you, and he hears your cry for help. And our last lesson is lesson number six, which is the promise of God. We see an amazing promise in this text, the redemption. Verse 19, one who is righteous has many adversities. So there's no, you know, the troubles aren't, aren't going to end. Just because you're a follower of Christ doesn't mean that all the problems of this world go away. Not, not at all. There, are, there is trouble to come. There's many adversities to come, but he says the Lord rescues from him, from them all. And he says an interesting verse, which we know for Christ, he protects all of his bones and not one of them is broken from John chapter 19. Evil brings death to the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be punished. And the Lord redeems the life of his servants and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. <laughs> David, for David, the, the Messiah, Jesus had not yet come. He, he didn't know. But his hope was in a coming Redeemer. His hope is in the Redeemer yet to come. And the promise about this Redeemer was, was that not one of his bones would be broken. And that was fulfilled in John chapter 19. These things happened that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. And, another, and then it says in John 19, and another scripture says, they will look at the one that they pierced. Huh. Look to the Redeemer. It's a reminder for us today. God always keeps his promises. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you been redeemed? Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you accepted Christ? Is he your Redeemer? I had debated on whether to share the end of the story of the USSS 4. But it seems fitting here because the unfortunate thing is not one of those men survived. Not one. 110 feet below the surface. I don't know the spiritual condition of the men that were on the USS 4. I, I don't. But I do know that there is a world of people that are asking that same question. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? And God has placed you in a place to lead. He has put you where you are to lead those around you. You have friends and family and neighbors and coworkers that need Jesus. And they're asking that question, friend. Is there any hope? See, for those in 1 Samuel 21 that took David's advice and put their hope in God, God would use them mightily. In fact, you know this because 
In 1 Chronicles 12 and in 2 Samuel 23, we have come to coin the names of some of those men as David's mighty men. They were warriors, unbelievable warriors that accomplished amazing things for God. If you want God to use you mightily, you need to take a moment and assess yourself in the areas of Psalm 34 and say, am I going to do this? Do I resolve to praise the Lord at all times? Am I going to look to the Lord in times when I need protection because he's going to protect me? Am I going to trust him for, for, for provision? Am I going to model purity in my speech and in my conduct? Am I going to rest in the presence of the Lord and know that he is, is always there? Am I going to cling to the promise of redemption and share the light of Christ with those around me? And maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, don't, I don't know if I have a relationship with Christ. I don't, I don't even know that. You can know, friend. The Bible says these things have been written that you might know for sure that you can have eternal life. You don't have to sit there and say, I, I hope maybe someday I'll get there. You can know for sure that you can have eternal life. You can put your faith and your trust and your confidence in God and say, God, I need you. I need Jesus who paid the price for my sin and I confess my sin before you and I repent that I need Jesus. Save me today. Save me. I need a Savior because I don't know what else to do. And he will hear your cry for help. He will save you. I hope that today that you know that. I hope you know Christ. And if you do, would you vow to praise the Lord together with me and say, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continually be upon my lips. Lord, we are grateful today for your word. This is a oftentimes a tough passage to work through because there are so many unknowns that can come crashing in and around and upon our lives. And God, I, I don't know the circumstances and the situations of the people in this room here or those listening. But I'm grateful that you do. I'm grateful that you intimately know every single person in this room and that you care. And that you hear our cry for help. And that we can trust you. And we can place our confidence in you and in you alone. And together with David today, we will exalt your name together as the body of Christ, Lord. Let us praise your name together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.